welcome to the 9-1-B Praise in Season 3. I nearly Woo! said Season 2. Season, season 3. three. Uh, in case in the very short waiting period between Season 2 and Season 3, you forgot who we were. I'm Jack. And I'm Joe. And, um, yeah, we're... <clears throat> It feels like it feels like we barely been away. <laughs> it's been like two weeks, hardly any time uh, at all. Uh, so long since we were talking about what a Christmas Carol last Christmas. That's I think we right. are. I think it's only been a week. I think we're on a bit steadier ground this week. Well, actually, Maybe. I don't know. I know you've watched the story. I don't know what you think about it. Mm. And. Um... <laughs> Yeah, unusually for us, I suppose we we're identifying the the topic of the podcast straight off the bat. We've um, uh, we're sort Bloody of rebooting hell. ourselves a little bit. It only took us three seasons to get there. We're so focused now. We are streamlined. We're like the Nymon B Praise Plus. <laughs> yeah, we've got Kayla. Uh, we've got Kayla redoing the artwork, and so instead of a chat <laughs> show, it's um. It's just it's, they're in a library now. That's right. You know they're in the they're on the library. They're in smoking jackets. They've got pipes. You're there with um, like a, a stopwatch, making sure we're doing it on time. I'm there with a clipboard, making sure we're sticking to the subject. Yeah, and uh, there's the, there's a real clock motif. Uh, I'm um, if Kayla's listening to this, then um, uh, we'll we'll we don't even need to get in touch with you. We expect this by six, <laughs> we'll, we'll check within twenty minutes. Go Although on, I'll tell you what, I put on Facebook yesterday what we were discussing today. And one of the comments on there is the best comment we've ever had, where someone's just oh, put, gosh. so this is the great journey of life. <laughs> <laughs> the nine will be praised is the great journey of life. Oh, look at us. I, Douglas Adams would be so happy that the meaning of life is actually found in this podcast. Oh, we Maybe. should actually say, because this Douglas Adams episode has now been promised twice, um, it is coming, and it will, in fact, be our next episode that we release. Yeah, I think it, it, we, we basically, I mean, we, we, we didn't postpone it, but I think at one point you were just like, we can't open a season with yet another Graham Williams story. <laughs> in fact, we've gone... We're going into an era that we've never touched on. How in 21 episodes have we never touched on the Troughton era? I, yeah, in, well, in case anybody doesn't know, we are going to be talking uh, about um, uh, Patrick Troughton's debut story, uh, The Power of the Daleks. Um, Absolutely yeah, it is, astonishing the that we can we actually... talk about the Troughton era. And... It's mad, isn't it? But it's astonishing, isn't it, that we can actually watch it. <laughs> It, it 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 was it was a very eye twisting thing to be putting on my TV screen in 2020. Mm. Um, I because you know I know that because I there had been a reconstruction of it in obviously the original reconstruction of it that was released in 2016, and even though you know I was I'd seen it in you know my local DVD store and I obviously knew the power of the Daleks to be. Well, you know, one of the, the great Doctor Who stories. It's one of the it's probably uh, for its time the most momentous Doctor Who story you could possibly 
find. Yeah. And for some reason, I just had, I remember every time I walked past and seeing the, uh, having looked at the original original animation for it, I was like, eh, I'll pass. Um, no. I, I had no, I had no real intention of getting the old animated version of it. So it, in a lot, in a lot of ways, this was a story I never really anticipated ever watching in my life. Well, do you know how I got mine? I, I got the special edition this year, but I didn't buy it new because I already had like the original and then a friend bought me the Blu-ray version. So I thought, I can't have a third version. Um, and then I went into a secondhand DVD shop <clears throat> the week it was released and found yeah, it on the shelf for like five quid. I was like, that means someone's bought this and got rid of it in the space of like four days since its release. I don't, yeah, the, I have no explanation for that. They must have just, I don't know, watched like a bonus feature and then just like, cool, I got what I needed from this. I don't know, especially when <clears throat> the animation in the special edition is so superior to the original. I can't imagine anyone wanted, unless just like you, they were like, do you know what? I'll give it a pass. I watched it. It was okay. That, that was a real, that was a real rash impulse buy because it wasn't, for me, it wasn't cheap. Well, how much was it in Australia? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I threw out the receipt. It was like, I think $30 or something. Which is like so not what actually compelled you then to go back and buy it? Um, I think just with this one, because uh, um, I knew they'd done a special edition. I knew I saw that there were all these um, bonus features, and I'm a big sucker for bonus features. Mm, me too. Um, uh, I heard that they, you know, they'd redone the animation, and I think when I saw the cover for it, it has a really cool cover. Yeah. Uh, I think when I actually saw it, I, I just stopped. I was like, "No, I I really should pick this up. It is one of the it is one of the d definitive Doctor Who stories. It would be remiss of me not to get it." Well, um, I suppose the obvious question is: now that you've seen it, what did you think? Um, I really quite liked it. I um, I think um. Because, you, you, you know, I only watched it today. I got home from work and oh, just wow. binge-watched it. We're, we're essentially doing oh. this live then, technically. Pretty much. So <laughs> this is my... I, I can't promise any detailed, you know, uh, academic insight into this piece that's still pretty fresh in my head. Um, I can only really give you my first impressions of it. Um, uh, possibly a bit of a glib point. Um, I, I was surprised to realize how many doctor who stories subsequently have cribbed on oh, totally. yeah i know completely um and victory of the daleks i i knew in particular had its uh had a lot of its dna with um power of the Daleks in terms of its characterization in at least in the first kind of leg of the story yeah. before it all went uh, bank holiday fights with Spitfires and space oh, and multicolored Daleks. Oh but in that first, in the first bit of the story, where the Daleks kind of sneaking around, being all, uh, I'm you your like soldier. Some tea? Yeah, 
you can I, I sort of watched Power of the Dogs and I was just like I mean I knew it owed a debt I was a little surprised I think I was surprised at how pronounced that debt was so yeah I was surprised essentially I was really taken aback by how many Dalek stories get their DNA from this story in particular so does um, that mean that the ideas in this story are timeless are ones that can <laughs> be taken and elaborated on because i don't think anyone and any of those stories afterwards did it better than they did it here uh no i wouldn't say so i wouldn't necessarily say so either um uh i'm i, th I think what this story really shows is how hard, like how brilliant it is to write the Daleks more Machiavellian and much more cunning. as these kind of, uh, yeah, cunning. They're, they're really background schemas in this. Yeah. But I think if you, if you look at, you know, if you compare something like Power of the Daleks and uh, Victory of the Daleks, I think it also highlights how hard it is to write the Daleks as schemers very well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, certainly the ideas, the ideas are very appealing, but I was just like, God, this is, I, I, I hadn't, this is very much me just kind of lodging my brain in a pinball machine and launching it off. But I did write at one point, I had a note that I just wrote down, uh, which is a very straightforward. I was just like, ah, the stillness of the Daleks in this, yeah. the stillness of them, the quietness of them. I was really struck by how in, I mean, they obviously don't really turn up till the end of episode one uh, in that very That's... classic Doctor Who thing of they're in the title and the cliffhanger yeah. for episode one is the fact that the Daleks are in fact in this episode. But isn't that um, cliffhanger glorious? Those two Daleks, like, covered in cobwebs in that dark oh it's a, it's it's a very it's striking a very image, potent but, image yeah and it, it, the episode is full of images like that really uh, fittingly for you know the state they're in images that really haunt the series subsequently well, um, do, do you think but, like, um, but what um essentially what, what i'm trying to say is that um in those first two episodes especially the daleks barely talk and they barely move and there was and the camera work lingers on them quite a lot in their just motionlessness and i was quite struck by how unnerving the daleks are when they're just left as, as these strange objects with these eye stalks that kind of instill paranoia in people when they're just like that thing is watching me it's, yeah. like, it's not watching me. yeah it is it is um, sorry, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Well, no, I was going to say, because this is essentially Doctor Who in desperation mode, isn't it? Like, Hartnell's just been written out because yeah. he's too sick to go on, or he's, you know, he can't, he can't portray the character as well as he could before. Um, so they've cast a new Doctor, they have no clue how the audience is going to take to them. Um, <laughs> And so, and they say this in the special features, they, they, they lean on an old favourite in order to, um, in order to kind of smooth that transition. But actually what they do with the Daleks is really unusual as well. It's not what we're used to. 
we're used to them coming in guns blazing and it's nothing like that it's all about like psychology in the story isn't it and how they prey on people how they promise them things how they kind of use their greed to get what they want it's just so smartly written this story mm. and i think um and you know the daleks don't actually do the traditionally dalekie business until a kind of episode five but not really they don't really massacre people until the final the final leg of the final episode yeah and, and uh, that's the kind of the thing you're waiting for as well so i love the fact that they just keep you waiting in suspense for what we know is coming and like you know um uh in some ways the anticipation uh, in the original broadcast, I imagine the, some of the anticipation wouldn't have entirely been worth it because obviously a lot of the violence and the massacre happens off screen anyway. Uh, but one of the great things about this animation is that when the Daleks finally, when they send the over, send the static electricity back into them and overload them, you get these glorious shots of them just blowing up. So after all this kind of highbrow work on the Daleks, as a as a as a really sinister force you do get also get the the fun of daleks blowing up yeah, in yeah. incredibly gratuitous ways it eventually gives you what you want it makes yeah. you wait for it but it's it's like a bit like the dalek in it, um, it, it gives you it gives you what you want but it also find it it shows you what you didn't know you wanted from yeah. them as villains because i don't think terry nation could have written this no, absolutely not. He, he's all he, kind of like, isn't he, like um, build your own adventure, jungles and and Daleks versus mechanoids. It's all very kind of over the top. Um, I know I say this a lot, comic book action. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is. It, with him, it really what is. That mean, what is comic book? Oh, I don't know. I use it as a catch-all to describe everything. But essentially, yeah. like, this is all about psychology, isn't it? And it's all, it's the Daleks getting under the skin of people. Mm. Characterization is not Terry Nation's forte, but it's really strong in this story, even of the Dalek characters. Yeah, I... The, the thing I find most the most one of the most possibly the most interesting choice they do with the daleks in this story for me at least anyway and i'm sure it's been commented on loads of times sure. um is the is the fact that for so much of these stories that they they don't have their guns mm. uh they in fact that for in many instances they actually have to surrender them um oh to prove uh, that they're trustworthy that's so yeah, clever because he says, "Why aren't you armed anymore?" And he says, "Well, we don't need the Dalek." As he says, "We don't need guns to help you." Yeah, and you know, um, at one point they're having to disarm each other. I think, or at least they pretend to have disarmed each other. Um, so the without the and you know, this is well before you know Rob Shearman turned up and showed that the sucker. Sucker arm could crush skulls. Yeah. So that the, the the only thing they have left is this weird kind of sucker arm, which is essentially harmless in the story. So all their offensive capabilities are gone, except for the way they can sl turn people against them and kind of connive their way in, into 
getting people to trust them. It's their brains, isn't it? That's all they've got left is their brains. They've got to mm. kind of think rather than shoot. And the doctor does say very early on, and it's 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 the moment the doctor, I think, really steps out of the shadows for the first time mm. in episode two, I believe. Yeah, I think in episode two where he has that initial confrontation where he's like, one Dalek could end this whole colony. Uh, and I was... I think it's, do you I think it's when the Daleks recognise the Doctor, that's when the audience is sold, that that's the Doctor? Um, well, it, was that when they... I thought in the animation they kind of look away from Troughton. Oh, is that right? Maybe. I mean, I mean, that's a whole other discussion because how they deal with his Doctor in this is so interesting. But let's stick to the um, Daleks for now and let's move on to that afterwards. I um, but I'm I, I yeah. In some ways, no. I would say I don't think the doc. I don't think there in the new series sense of the word there isn't a, a a doctor defining moment of I am the doctor and you are the Daleks. But the I was really I, I the moment I recognised the character of the doctor the most was in that first moment where he. Because he's been very impish and very clownish and very um, un quite untrustworthy initially. Mm. Um, but at the moment he really steps out as the Doctor, at least to me, is when he uh, sees the Daleks for the first time and then steps out and essentially just, after having been so unreliable, is like, no, we need to destroy them. Uh, we need to get them out of here. One of them could take down this whole colony. That and then I was like, oh yes, this is. I see. For me, dumb. it was the bit where he lost his shit and he's like, "Destroy me!" You know, shoot me. He's really shouting at it. I think he's at the end of episode two, and the Dalek's just going, "I am your servant," and he's like, "Don't mm. destroy you all!" You know, and he's really going at it. And that's the first time he kind of really tries to show how kind of terrifying they are. Yeah, but one of the things you know with that was also quite interesting about the Daleks in this story is that it's not they don't get a free ride throughout this story in the sense that they obviously have something going on and everybody's kind of either either believe takes them at their word or is trying on some level to work out what they're doing, but. Um, at, very, at various points, the Daleks themselves are thrown spanners in their plans. Um, like, you know, and they have to kind of, they themselves, it's not just them, it's not their plan unfolding oh, without you're, complication. You're not talking about the bit where he nearly gives the game away. One of the Daleks yeah, yeah. That I like, says something, doesn't he, where he's like, oh, oh I meant this, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, there are loads of those moments where the it's they're quite almost quite funny actually mm. where the Daleks have to correct their own language to make sure they don't. Uh, uh, there, there's a line at some point I didn't write it down where one of the Daleks is like, uh, "We are," and it, it 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 it's about to say we are better than humans is like we are different as. Does he say different? Uh, yeah, we, I think so. Someone correct us on that. Yeah. But, you know, but there's other moments as well, like, you know, when um, the Doctor says, well, you're here to serve us, uh, I command you to shut down. And the Dalek 
has no choice but to shut down. Oh, and then when he goes, he's like, yeah, actually, no, you're in charge, so I'm only going to obey your orders instead of Yeah, his. you gain, yeah, you, and they, so there's, there's a quite a bit of spin involved in the, in, with the Daleks. And also, um, you know, uh, you know, hmm? you know what's unusual is in all the previous stories <clears throat> the daleks are the enemy so the doctor doesn't have to convince anybody because they're just going around killing people and this is the first time where he's li- having to convince people that th- that is ri- that's new i don't think there's been any doctor who story to this point where the doctors had to come in and say that these people are monsters you know yeah i love that spin um, on it <laughs> and they're and- so ready to exploit them for everything Reagan wants to exploit them uh, for the rebe- no, to take over the colony. The rebels want to exploit them to be their muscle. Lesson wants to exploit them for their um, scientific secrets. And the Daleks and are there yeah, rubbing their hands together, going, "Oh yeah, <laughs> we got you now." And it's it's one <clears> of the <throat> things. It, it it on top of just making them very for a lot of it, there isn't a lot of you know shouty Dalek stuff. The, on top, the one thing, the other thing it it does, uh, as opposed to you know making them from making them very quiet and very still, but is also it's the one of the famous ideas of it, which is it makes it tries to make them seem terrifying by having them act, uh, you know, kind of servile mm. and kind of harmless, and it's. It's it's it largely I think it's in the voice yeah. because there there is something genuinely quite creepy about hearing this very oppressive static like I am your <laughs> servant. There is something really unnerving about that. Do you know what the creepiest um, line is that's done very? It's really underplayed. Is where he says to one of them. Um, why do human beings kill other human kill beings? Other human beings, yeah. That is a great line. It's, I mean, it, 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 it's a brilliant line. But you're right, it's Peter Hawkins that does the voice here. Yeah. I think it's one of the best Dalek performances like in the series' run. And interestingly, Nick Briggs said that he based his Daleks on Peter Hawkins's. Oh, you, you can entirely see why. One of the things I found really interesting in his performance of the Daleks throughout this story is that initially they are um, quite, you know, they sound quite uh, subdued, mm. uh, and they and uh, they do really lean into the "I am your servant," uh, but um, unless they're consciously prodded, um, like you know, when the Doctor electrocutes one of them and it. It's oh, like you yeah. can hear. It's like it's trying uh, to fire it, the gun, isn't it? It's like yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you can hear the clicking, but there's no gun there. Um, uh, and, and like, there's a moment where it has to kind of calm itself down to keep the plan going, <laughs> which is I want to uh, kill and shout. <laughs> I've got to be quiet. Yeah, I would. The hardest, the hardest thing you could possibly ask of a Dalek. Yeah. Um, but it's like much later on. Um, and what I thought was really great about the vocal performance was because they obviously still keep up this pretense that they're servants, Mm. even when they're like getting guns. Uh, even when there's like the entire army, just up until when before the army kind of unleashes onto Vulcan, 
they're, they're doing it right yeah. up until episode five. Yeah, but as as the Daleks get more of a foothold, um, it, I found the performance really interesting because there was a point, I can't remember exactly where, but it's when one of the characters, I think, what's her name? Janly. Uh, oh, Jan, Janly, Jan, Jan yeah. She, um, I think, comes back to, you know, their main little sort of um, incubator or whatever it is. And one of them comes out and even though it's still playing it as, you know, I am your servant, the tone of voice yeah. is completely different. It's the, the voices. We are, we are, we're not your servants. We are the Daleks. We are just saying we, we there, there was, there's no, that there's no longer that layer of there's pretense. A, there's also like an element of arrogance that comes into the voice as the story goes on. <clears throat> yeah, and they absolutely. get a bit more pushy with each episode and a bit more insistent. Until mm. the last episode, where they're just obviously completely in control. Yeah, and it's oh, it's it's really interesting to see unfold. And one of the things, <clears throat> uh, the, I think, a, a moment that I found genuinely quite arresting is when the rebels meet, um, and um, they they introduce the Daleks, and, uh, and the rebels are quite alarmed. They're like you know we don't know when they do the dalek test the gun mm. and they're just like we don't know if this is going to kill anybody and Janly says test it on me oh yeah and she has no like, clue does she she has no idea whether that gun will kill it or not and you know you talk about suspense that scene is really suspenseful oh yeah and you know um oh what's his name the um he's um, I'm trying to remember the character's name. I, I believe it's um, uh, not Val Valmar. Resno? Uh, no, I think it might have been Valmar. I, I'm not sure. One of one of the the rebels. Rebel. Uh -huh. Yeah, is walking through the Dalek quite nervously, going, "Oh, you know." Uh, so basically, it's he's very nervously saying, "So you you shoot her." And the Dalek interrupts him and just goes, I am your servant. And for a moment, I had no idea whether the, the yeah. Dalek was going to kill her or not. <clears throat> I genuinely had no idea. I was like, oh, God, so what good. is this? So good. And what did you think about what is the most, probably the most iconic scene in Power of the Daleks? And that is the assembly line sequence. Oh, it's... It's fantastic. So well, I don't know. It's, 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 it's I, as iconic, I think, as the Tomb of the Cybermen when they break out those tombs. Oh, it, it absolutely is. Like, there's very little I can really say to do that other people haven't really said about that moment. And pretty I much, mean, you know, the animation it is pretty much frame for frame until the end of the episode with that pullback with those hundreds of that's that is completely like overdone compared to what the original looked like oh but i'm, I'm i was willing to let uh, that go yeah i don't i don't mind them taking a few allowances with the animation i know there's some ian levines out there to get very angry about it but um mm. you know like give the format you know a break like they've got the chance to up the budget a little bit yeah 
I seen I, I, I didn't see any problem with it. And like, you know, they've done that subsequently anyway. Like they've redesigned the macra. Mm. Um uh, They're essentially giving you the show that they would have done had they the money and the time at the time. Yeah. Aren't they? Oh, it's it's true to the spirit and the ambition of what they were going for. Mm. Um, uh, ironically, I think, you know, it's quite, it's funny to me because, uh, obviously it's the animation reflects slightly reflects what they were going for, uh, uh, somewhat more if they had more money, Mm. um, uh, which I find really funny because this is obviously, uh, an animation that is also on quite a tight budget as well. Um, but I think on the so whole, it's, it's extremely faithful. I I fast forwarded through the telly snaps afterwards, and absolutely, you can see that they are ninety five percent faithful to the original. Hmm. Particularly the character models as well. Yeah, mind you, I, f- I find like the character models are slightly more stilted compared to the Daleks. The Daleks move just really fluidly. And there are some moments. Uh, very forgivable um, where, you know, the Daleks are moving in because they, I'm sure, I think pretty sure they must've been animated separately uh, and they have different animation builds. Um, But there are moments where, you know, Patrick Troughton might be staring at one and one's rotating around and you can clearly tell the Dalek is in three dimensions and the doctor is in two dimensions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a bit of that, but for the most part, they like cover that up quite seamlessly. Really lucky this thing exists in, in, yeah. in any form. So, and we're we're incredibly lucky as well that you know the people who did the original version felt like they had to go back and do, do it, it better. Again. Yeah, uh, and and give us uh, you know a, a better version of the power of the Daleks and. Uh, it, it, Okay, so we've talked about the Daleks, and I'm sure we will again. I've got a question for you about Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Can you see a nervous actor here who's not quite found his groove, or do you think from the off he's got his doctor, like, spot on and, and, and sort of the template of what continued for the next three years? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And in so many ways, it's such a hard one to answer uh, with an animated reconstruction of his of his first episode. Um, but the the good thing about Patrick Trown is that he has an incredibly expressive voice. Um, so you get you very much get a sense of his performance from his voice. Um, uh, I see. I don't think he's quite there in this story. Like, oh, obviously he's there. I think it's sort of the moon base, the Macro Terra, where that kind of model of Trouton's Doctor really forms. And until that point, he's he, you know, he's playing about with it. He's having fun with it. He doesn't seem quite as cheeky. In fact, I thought he seemed really sinister in the first episode. Oh no, he is. He's absolutely very. I, I, I'm, I think in answer to your question, I, I didn't necessarily get much of a sense of nervousness, um, as in like, 
lack of certainty. However, I did get an immense sense of experimentation. Yeah, let's see where this goes. Yeah, so he's you. The the doctors around this story is doing. There are so many different things that Troughton is doing in his performance. Um, There's obviously a lot of there's a lot of comedy in there. You know, there's a lot of quite. Uh, and in terms of comedy, it's it's a lot of clown clown comedy, yeah. um, a, a lot of buffoonery. But don't you think um, it's odd that that they don't tr- the writer does not try and reassure the audience at all that this is the Doctor for quite a few episodes? No, in fact, um, uh, they they actively go out of their way to imply that Patrick Troughton is an imposter yeah. of William Hartnell. They. The and even the companions are unconvinced. Going. The companions are like, oh, Doctor, or whoever you are. Well, the thing I found particularly strange is that with Ben and, ben and Polly, is that, I, I mean, Ben is um, unsure throughout. Mm. He's consistently like, I'm not sure if you're the Doctor or not. But Polly is so consistently like, no, no, this man is the Doctor. I mean, and they, the doctor they did see him change actually, from one person to another. Yeah, but but with Polly, I mean, yes, they do see the transformation. But in fairness, they have no idea what's just happened. That could be anything. Uh, it could be, it? it could be a body swap. I think yeah. you know when they did a version of, of that kind of scene with the Children in Need special with David Tennant and Billy Piper. Uh, Billy, what, I did, that was a funny way. I said Billy Piper. Billy Piper. Um, um, but when they did um, Born Again or whatever it was, I think at one point Rose does go, is this like, are you like a Slovene or something? Um, and to be fair to the audience, they've been finding excuses to write out Hartnell for at least a year. Like in The Celestial mm. Toymaker, he's written out completely and he's just a hand. And originally mm. that was going to be like the regeneration, sort, as in when he rematerialized, he was just going to be in a different guise. Yeah. I. Um, but so yeah, there, there there is reason for for doubt. I think. Like one of the, I just find it so weird that Polly is so doggedly. No, you are the doctor, and the doctor does nothing to reassure her. She's like actively trying to build the case that you are the doctor, just in a different body, and he. It's like he deliberately undermines it. Yeah. Um, like he keeps going around referring to the doctor. He refers to himself in the third person yeah, for so long. He's like, ah, this, uh, these, these must be the doctor's belonging. But you are the doctor, and he just kind of smiles. But you know what? I found like Ben like violently stubborn in the other direction as well, like aggressively mm. so. You know, I'm not sure if he's incredibly likable in the first couple of episodes of this. I mean, there was, to be honest, there was definitely a time uh, whilst I was watching this where I just wrote the note, Ben and Polly suck. <laughs> I was just like... I, no, is there a bit of episode one where it's just like, oh, you've been renewed, have ya? I was like, yeah. well, clearly, yeah, you just saw it. because. <laughs> I mean, in fairness... In, I do you know one of the details I really love that they kept because it's it's so inexplicable is the fact that Patrick Troughton his clothes regenerate regenerate oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Like William Hartnell's costume, like clothes just disappear. He doesn't change into it. Um, that first episode, I must say, 
um, having talked a bit about the animation, I think the first episode, the first leg of this in the TARDIS, is the scene is a scene where the the story suffers the most from being an animation. Yeah, as soon as it goes onto the surface of Vulcan, they're able to do more interesting things, aren't they? Yeah, it, and it's no fault of theirs because uh, and because I don't think any footage of Patrick first moments survive at all. There's a few stills, so they, but I think that's it. Yeah, you know the stuff of him like sitting on the floor mm. and all that kind of stuff. But it, I think it's like no fault of theirs. But that that first episode, I remember I attempted to watch it um, not too long ago uh, before I sat down and watched it in full now. And I remember kind of struggling with those oh, initial no. TARDIS scenes, just, just not literally just because so much of the initial scene in the TARDIS, I feel, depends on being able to see Patrick Trout. Yeah, it's sure. you can tell that this scene is based. The camera is revolving around his face. And his expressions and the way he's moving, uh, and there, there, there are so many shots in that initial scene where you can hear like footsteps moving, but nothing will be happening on the picture. And you just can't get like the subtleties in the face in the animation that he would have brought in the performance that you can see in any pat in like live action Patrick Troughton story. You know, he can elevate yeah. a scene with his face, not even talking. You know. Doing that Matt, yeah, Smith, and, Matt, Matt, Matt Smith thing you were talking about the other day. Doing some yeah, of his best work but, when he's silent. Sorry, go on. And, and I would like to say again that that initial scene that there's like no fault, that it's a hard scene to animate because firstly, they don't obviously don't have the, they're not Pixar or anything. They can't like do this like highly detailed rendering of how Patrick Troughton might, you know, be expressive. But they also don't have any footage to really work out how that scene was staged and how the camera moved. So they're essentially going in blind. Um, so it's no fault of of their this their skill or their production. It's just that that scene is essentially built around Patrick Troughton's face, and you can tell. And uh, you hear it in the voice, but the animation mm. just can't. Capture quite that, add up to that, capture that but like you like, to do. like you say once you get onto vulcan yeah. it is a completely different story um yeah and i think as well for some reason i really feel like um black and white works in animation <clears throat> with like lots of silhouettes and shadows there's one shot where polly's in the like in the silhouette in a doorway it's really moody. The scenes inside the the shuttle with the Daleks and the cobweb, um, all the whole sequence on the production line, like they do, they they certainly have plenty of opportunities to show their stuff after those initial TARDIS scenes. Hmm. I um, and it, you know, it's once they get out into, once they get into the facility, once the Daleks show up, that I think they're really able to stretch out their wings. Did you notice um, um, that Ben and Polly both had a holiday in this? No, of course not. Polly's kidnapped for most of the story. Polly, Polly gets two episodes off where she's kidnapped, and then Ben gets episode five off and then just turns up again in the last episode. But do you okay. know what? I really feel like there's enough happening that it doesn't really matter so much. It's not one of those episodes where you go, well, where the hell are they? 
I, <clears throat> yeah, I would agree. Although I'm not sure if that's because I just was deeply uninvested in their characters. Oh, um, see, they're really popular, Ben and Polly. That surprises me. I don't. I mean, it's probably because this is the first Ben and Polly story I've seen, and I didn't really learn anything about them. That's fair enough. Um, so I'm sure they m- might be better elsewhere. Um, I know you're quite fond of them. Um, yeah, I don't think they're the best Trout and companions, but I think they. I actually think they work really well with Hartnell. Yeah, I. I, I the cockney accent I think from time to time uh, mm. uh, would would be a bit much because sometimes you go from these scenes in between the governor and the deputy governor speaking and oh what what's going on around here <laughs> and Polly's <laughs> awfully isn't she sometimes was that Polly's got a you know Polly's awfully posh and, and Ben's a right old is. cockney isn't he. Yeah, and we will be like, what are the Daleks doing? What, what, what are we going to do about them? And then you'll get Polly and say, I don't know, Ben. I think we <laughs> should ask the doctor. But I think I feel like we're missing out on one very important thing about Polly and Ben. That we are mm, missing in the animation. How bloody hot they both are. And if you can I actually see it. them moving. I knew you were going to say this. I knew it. Who cares what they're saying? They're gorgeous. You add Jamie to that mix, and that is a hot TARDIS. I'm telling you. I, uh, I, uh, and then you've got, no doubt, Patrick Trout in there just going, oh, yes, look at all these attractive people. They can do the attractive people things. I, I can be in the background and do all this weird stuff. Patrick Trout was a serial bigamist. He got more action than all of them put together. Yeah, well, you're right. This is true. I, I think I, I Charm some goes stories. a long way, Jack. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Charm goes a long way. I'm with and with someone like Trout, Patrick Trout, who has it in, in buckets. Yeah. Um, I have, but yeah, going back to the Doctor, um, the, yeah, I, I don't know. what, a, But it's this weird thing where, because we I was talking about how, you know, I think he's experimenting a lot. Mm. Um, in this, I think this, the script is aware of this because, um, uh, you know, it's not until he... It, I love this scene where he pulls out this kind of uh, this cave that he's uh, the, sorry that he pulls out this knife that he said he got from Aladdin. Oh yeah, um, and he and he cuts open the orange and reveals the pips are radios, <laughs> and uh, he and he crushes them and say, you know, I couldn't let anybody know, um, and you're just like, oh okay, so the script is deliberately given a reason for the doctor to act aloof and mysterious and strange, which allows, gives Patrick Troughton the space in in like first two or three episodes to just kind of play around with the part and be weird. But it's like you said earlier, he's very quiet in those first couple. And I, it's where you really need to see the performance because I'm, I'm almost willing to bet that in, in the live action one, your eyes are just on him. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not just that he's quiet; he sounds really sinister. Yeah. Because Patrick Trout has this this uh, cadence in his voice where, when he speaks very low, he sounds very sinister. It's a bit like, like um, McCoy, isn't it? When McCoy goes down, he's he's very very sinister as well. Ace. Mm-hmm. I yeah. So there is there is a real guessing game 
that goes on for about, I'm not sure if it's half of the story, but at least definitely the first leg as to what what the hell the Doctor is doing. Yeah, we still don't um, know, you know why he's really changed. You know, I mean, it's, it's implied that he's renewed because he was old. But, like, yeah. we've not been prepared oh. for this in the previous three years that this can happen. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, the concept of regeneration not only did it not really exist before it was needed in the 10th planet, there was no precedent for it before in the show, but also the idea of regeneration as we currently understand it uh, doesn't exist in the story either. I mean, for, um, for all we know, this was just supposed to happen once, you know. Only the fact they decided to keep the show going after Troughton, then this became yeah. a repetitive theme. Yeah, and, you know, as many people have pointed out, it's not until, you know... John Pertwee that it's identified as a regeneration. Mm. Until yeah. then, it, it, it even you know when Troughton changes, it's they they describe the Time Lords describe as a change of appearance. Yeah, um, and it's so we don't actually see regeneration as a biological process that the Doctor can do until the end of Pertwee's time. Really, do you know? Um, do you know what I found especially interesting about Trout in this? That is how they try to deliberately differentiate him from Hartnell. Because Hartnell in this story would have been an authority figure. He would have been making them listen. He wouldn't have shut up until they listened. Um, really? I, you know, he wouldn't have been this sinister guy in the background, um, you know, trying to meddle about with the equipment and destroy the dogs. He certainly would. I don't think there would have been a massacre at the end of a Hartnell story. And I don't mm -hmm. think he would have saved the day by blowing them all up either. There's something very mischievous and Troughton-esque about how he causes total bloody carnage and then just mm. skips off very quietly. Hartnell yeah. would have been there, you know, clutching his lapels going, that's oh, all, I saved the day, aren't I wonderful? Ha -ha. Oh, my boy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so they really are stressing how different he is. Also, in the silence in the beginning, he's like the doctor never goes out without doing a, a check on the environment. You know, there's just oh, yeah. lots of moments like that where they're they're kind of pointing out how different he is. It's just not it's not a safe watch, is it at all? No, um, no, not safe. What's the word? Reassuring. Hartnell's who was very reassuring because he was there, whereas now. <laughs> You don't trust the Doctor. Yeah, and again, in that first episode, you can't because, you know, a man is shot right in front of him and he literally just takes the bat. He just takes his, like, pin off his <laughs> lapels and just puts it on him. Um, that, that is great as well, though, isn't it? The fact that he is an imposter throughout because you're waiting mm. for that penny to drop as well. So, but it it sets up the doctor to be an imposter on multiple fronts because he's set up to be an imposter as the doctor himself, but he's also set up to be an the actual Earth Examiner imposter, which he actually is. He is to completely an imposter. I think as well, like the most sort of Troutony thing that he does is the way he gets out of that cell. With the oh, water. with the water. Yeah, that feels very like like sort of mid to late Troutony. Yeah, yeah, and it's so silly. It's like <laughs> I, it felt like it went on forever, though. Like I, I was like, really? We kept cutting back to can I have some more water? Can I have some more water? Like get to the yeah, point. Well, but 
But even the first time they do it, the first time they do that silly water gag, I think, is it, what's his name? Is it Quinn? Yeah. I think Quinn's just like, oh, you can't, how did you get through all that water? Implying that the doctor has already been sitting there for ages and has gone through an entire <laughs> jug of water, just doing that, trying to open the door. Do you um, do you think that all the little subplots in this works, like Bragan's attempt to overthrow, Janley's rebellion, um, Lesson in the Daleks? Like, there's there's a fair they they do try and populate this world with some quite vivid guest characters. Um, well, this actually ties back into something I meant to say earlier, but didn't. When you talked about how Ben and Polly disappear for like two episodes each. Yeah. Um, it's the, part of the reason it's not an awesome, apart, aside from me being flippant about their characters, mm. um, uh, part of the reason why it's not that noticeable is because there's so much other plot going on with all the other dynamics in the colony. So even, th- so even though they're absent, they're, presumably what would have been their s- screen time is filled up by all these other characters really and dynamics. interesting characters I, th- I think i feel like you feel like this is quite a populated colony and there's just so much bloody backstabbing going on i love it yeah i think however at least for me personally um so i struggle with six parters a lot oh. um and i been a bit like even with some of the ones I love, like you know, like Sharda, for example. Mm. I, 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 it's hard for me to watch a six-parter all in one go. Oh, I would never. Um, I did four and two. I uh, yeah. Um, so I, mean, I you may have to watching... remember these things were never designed to be seen in one go. Oh, they're not. Absolutely not. Um. Uh, uh, and watching this all in one go, and despite the fact that I knew it's not, this is not a three-hour movie. This mm. is not. This was not directed by Martin Scorsese. No. Um, but um, I mean, I, I, I reckon if you watched one installment a week over six weeks and watched that story progress, that actually would really work rather well. Although it would mean we're bringing out a podcast every six weeks, which probably wouldn't work so well for us. <laughs> and. And now for our update on the power of the Daleks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, it was weird for me because even though I found it all quite interesting, I think three hours worth of all this complex political interplay was a, was a bit overwhelming. Right. And uh, I think at some points, I would, well, maybe not overwhelming, but at some, at some points it became harder to engage with. Um, uh, yeah. which is not necessarily a fault of the writing as opposed to me insisting on watching three hours worth of classic whack. 1960s yeah. Doctor Who <clears throat> in one go. I mean, I asked you um, earlier, I, I chose Sharda as my favourite Graham Williams story. I can't watch that what is it, three-hour telemovie, two-and-a-half-hour telemovie all in one go. It's just it's too much. Mm. So I think if I had not... Punished myself with kindness because watching a, um, a three-hour classic 1960s Doctor Who episode <laughs> in one go just before a podcast could be construed as a punishment. 
but also it's power of the Dalek. So it's a kindness. So mm. punishment by kindness. But this just um, goes to show. I mean, and this is a really fantastic story. Imagine if you had to oh, watch we'll six episodes of The Web Planet. Oh, we'll see, we'll see. This is literally the thing where even though, you know, at some points I will admit my brain did kind of tune in and out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was, it was me tuning out, being very conscious of, even though I'm not, my full attention isn't totally committed. I know for a fact what this six-parter is doing is much more interesting in terms of like plot and a character and a structure and ambition than a bunch of other six parters that oh, you could watch. The Monster of Peladon, for example. Yeah. Is that a six parter? Oh, God, it's interminable. <laughs> and I love Pertwee and Sarah Jane, but it, oh, God, it goes on forever. You're in and out of those oh, frigging mines for three hours. Oh, as well, the you... Ice Warriors lumber about in dodgy costumes. Or even in um, what world was it? The Daleks when you go down into the caves. Yeah. I I years ago um, in 2013 for the 50th, um, I um, forced a friend of mine who wasn't really into the show. He he knew of it through me, and because of the 50th was kind of coming up, I was like, he was like, oh, you know what? I might watch a couple of Doctor Who episodes. So I. You never chose the Daleks. I, I strong-armed him into an agreement that he would watch one episode from each Doctor. What, one um, half an hour episode? No, oh. no, just not a whole serial. And you chose the Daleks? I did cho- choose the Daleks. Wow. And you, Literally you know what, you know nothing happens on, in on, the first on. episode of the Daleks. Hang on, do, do, you know, do you know what was particularly shameful? Go on. Uh, was because I chose I he he and he watched the Daleks. He watched the whole thing, and he would he complained so much about those cave scenes. It was like it was just like it was like oh no, Susan's injured herself again. Oh no, they're in the caves again. Why do we keep going down these caves? And um, I love that uh, but but what was so shameful is that I had made him watch, and he did not forgive me for this. Is that I recommended he watch the Daleks because it's the first story of the you know the first Dalek story, very famous, blah blah blah. But I had not actually seen it myself. <gasps> you, <laughs> I'm assuming you've seen it now. Yes, yeah, I've seen the Daleks As now. But when I, yeah, I, but when I so when I saw it subsequently, I was like, I messaged him back. I was like. Oh, yeah, so really sorry about that. These caves. I totally would have chosen the Romans. Oh, I would have changed. If I was doing that list again, I would have chosen different stories. Because I chose for him, this is a real detour, mm. but I chose, um, uh, I asked him to watch um, uh, The Daleks, uh, The Mind Robber, All good choice. Um, uh, The Three Doctors. Mm. Uh, Okay. I, I I chose that one just to introduce him because because going into the fiftieth, I was like, put one multi doctor story in there. There's not one person uh, that I know that has seen the three doctors that hasn't fallen apart when the jail guards appear. Uh, 
Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, has the dropped the shark. Uh, then I chose Pyramids of Mars. That's a safe, cho- uh, a safe choice. I'm not sure I would have gone with Pyramids of Mars um, if I did that list again, but good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Caves of Androzani. Very safe choice. Um, uh, Revelation of Revelation of the Daleks. Makes sense. Uh, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, okay. You go for all the all the big hitters of the eighties. Yeah, TV uh, movie, and I can't remember what I chose for the new series Doctors. It kind of matters less then, but those were the classic ones. I'll tell you I what. Showed. Going back to the six part format. I think this is one story, though, where if you don't watch it all in one lump, it does have momentum. It does build. It uses that mm. structure well. It advances the plots at a fair lick. Um, it has sat- like satisfying set pieces along the way. There are six parters which just drag terribly. Oh, and I feel like I should disclose this. Like, you know, um, what's the cliffhanger in episode three? Is it we will have our power? We will have our power. Oh, that's four. What's three? Is is, is three, I am your, them going, I am your servant. I am your servant. I am your servant. I think that's two. Mm. What the hell is Um, the cliffhanger to episode three? Uh, well, I, 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 maybe I'm referring to episode mm. two, but no, no, I think, in, I, I think it, I'm sorry, I think it is We Will Have Our Power because episode four is the production line. And I, I've checked the, the plot synopsis and it is We Will Get Our Power. Okay. Um, but I, I suppose, I, actually, I know, I know what I meant now. Um, the going into episode three which would put this traditionally at the tail end of a normal classic Doctor Who story. Mm. Um, I was like, I very vividly remember thinking not too long ago um, uh, that, um, you know, even though this is nearly two, approaching two hours, there's a, this doesn't feel like it's continuing without having enough st- Steam in the tank, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, you can, steam you, in the tank. Well, you can point at the Daleks and and say, as a sharp contrast, the Daleks probably should have ended where they get out of the Dalek city at the end of episode four, and it's like, oh my god, the fluid link. We've got to go back to the city for another three episodes, mm. and we'll take two episodes trying to get there. Yeah, that mm. that feels like elongating a serial beyond its natural life, whereas this feels like uh, a narrative that progresses quite nicely throughout yeah and you and you can trace that very very much in with the daleks themselves because you know they it's one of the really good things about the structure of this story which is that you literally from the from where they start to where they end you see them coming into uh, you see them coming into their power you might say well i mean it is a pun isn't it it is a play on words yeah, do you know? Because you know, do you, do you know, that title, that title really got me. Because I was like, oh yes, the power of the Daleks. Because they're so powerful, they're so evil. I was like, no, it is literally the the power yeah. of the Daleks. Uh, hey, <laughs> it's better than the big finish story, the light at the end, which is literally the light at the end of the console. 
<laughs> That's true. But, God, the moment where I realised, no, this is literally the story of the Daleks just getting more <laughs> static electricity. Well, I, suppose, I mean, it's supposed to be both, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, like, oh, it, 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 it's, it, it is both. But I just, it was just for me really delightful when I realised it wasn't just a metaphor for how evil they were. It's also, it's also just literally, it's a literal description of... Okay then, so what did you think about character payoffs in the end i'm thinking about um like bragan who takes over from the governor in a great scene and then um he's like impotently shouting you know everybody don't fuck the daleks whilst they're being massacred um and like uh lesterton who goes completely insane by the end of the story in fact so insane yeah. that he's, he becomes a dalek yeah, he, uh, yeah, when he's literally, he ends up literally going, oh, they are the superior species. Homo, homo sapiens have been replaced. I am your servant. Yeah, very creepy. It was creepy and it's uh, really funny as well. That's quite a hard mix to pull off. Mm, it, again, one of those moments where you wish you could see the, the original recording. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's a good guest part, though, isn't it, Lesterson? He gets a lot to it do is. with this. Initially, because, you know, I think that's one of the things I really like about all these characters is that they all they all undergo some kind of reversal or their, their shift, their, their place in the story shifts constantly, um, not just in terms of where their allegiances lie necessarily. Oh, well, there's that as well. But also... The amount of power they, all of them have yeah. in the story, it's constant. Like, we, there is no sense of who's on, who's in control here. Stability all... at all. The poor yeah. citizens of Vulcan, this is like a revolving kind of power contest, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Do you remember, so, I, I really feel sorry for the governor, though, when he comes back and he's like, oh, you know, get out of my chair, like that. And then he just puts the gun in and shoots him yeah. down. It's straight, it's, yeah, and, you know, I was, one of the things I was really shocked about, and, I'm, you know, I don't know if this is in the original story that we've lost, but that tracking shot they do of all the dead people no, in, the, in the colony. Yeah. No, it is. I was that, like, that's in the original. Oh my god, that's really graphic. I don't know if they animated it, but in the original, there is a woman clutching a baby running through like the corridors who gets mowed down. Her and the baby. It's really wow. Cool. Yeah. And do you know Was what that one of... I found quite interesting on the special features? I didn't realise this because obviously it's animated. But the last episode was all done on film. Because it was a, a yeah, because it was a special effects heavy episode they decided to do the whole thing on film so they could edit it easier so it would have wow. looked that massacre would have looked amazing <laughs> what a shame what a shame thank thank god they did it um, but, but it is brutal that last episode isn't it <laughs> it is i also sorry what was your original question exactly 
Um, so how did you feel like, did you feel like those characters were paid off? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, uh, I think, like I was saying, they all undergo such strange and interesting sh shifts in power, in stature, that a lot of them, I think a lot of them, you know. I, 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 say, I especially love what's his name, Bregan, because he's so arrogant and then he's so impotent at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just before that shot of all the bodies, he's like, desperately dying i was like why isn't anybody responding because <laughs> they're all dead and yeah. you allowed it to happen but even like you know the governor who you know is a very well-meaning man but he's a, a, a bit you know he's a bit stubborn he obstructs things quite a lot uh he's way too enamored with the daleks when they're introduced yeah well they um, all are aren't they? They, they they've all got like gold in their eyes they can see how they can use and abuse mm. these creatures um, hey, did you recognize who Bregan was uh, as in the actor yeah um no i did i can't say i did uh, you can kind of tell from the end it's marcus scarman from pyramids of mars oh is it oh is it yeah you can even hear it in the voice as well when you kind of go look in I'll have to go. I'll, yeah, I'll go. Have to go back and rewatch that. It has been a very long time since I've watched Pyramids of Mars. Yeah, so, so his performance might not be as fresh in my mind, but that's really cool. I say what? Jan Graham. Sorry, Jan Lee was quite an interesting character because you yeah, don't no, usually have strong her. female characters like this, and she was devious and manipulative, and she used her sexuality as well. I thought she Did was. She? Yeah, a couple of points. She's flirting with. Um, I think it's Resno, and when she dies as well, he even says, he goes over and like touches her and says, oh, she wasn't so bad, you know. I think there's supposed to be like a, a an insinuation that there's something there. Hmm. Oh, I thought her character was great because, you know, because um, she's, you know, implied to be, she's not the leader of the um, resistance or the rebels, but she she's certainly the sort of go between for for a lot of the action and she drives a lot of the action in the story yeah um which i was really which i thought was really interesting for a for a, a you know a female part in a 1960s television show you wouldn't necessarily expect that for the time not and there's a lot of and there's a lot of depth to to her and a lot of ambiguity in all of her choices uh, particularly, you know, when she, um, uh, with the, oh God, it's, it's pretty horrible to describe with the lab, you know, the lab assistant, Res, Resno, oh, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. who gets shot by the Dalek and she disposes of him in the swamp, but, but doesn't, doesn't tell to Lesserson, does she? Yeah. Until when she does. And oh, she, yeah, she uses it, doesn't she? At a moment where she needs him to be weak. Yeah, and she uses she once he tells she tells him that information, she blackmails him with it. And there's um, a wonderful scene as well between her and Bregan once the killing started. Um where oh, he's yeah. like, you know, you and me, we could uh and she's like, Okay, this has gone too far now. I think she realizes that she's made a mistake at this point. Mm. I am. Um, Essentially, this is like this is like a, a a drama that's playing out that the doctor and his companions are just visiting. 
aren't they? Because the, the companions yeah. are pretty irrelevant. And the Doctor's in the shadows. So essentially, this is like, I don't know, not Doctor Who. It's the adventures of Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say Doctor Who with a big question mark over it in the adventure, in dropping in on the adventures of Vulcan. And the Daleks are there. I mean, essentially, you could tell this story without the Doctor and the Companions, really. You could just have like the Examiner as the Doctor character who knows the Daleks from elsewhere and kind of still tell the same story. Oh, yeah. So in that case, I have a... I'm kind of phrasing it in my head as we speak, but I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Patrick... Troughton is quite a beloved, is one of the most beloved doctors, and was certainly in some, in quite a lot of respects, what perhaps the most influential performer in the part in terms of our modern idea of the doctor. Yeah. Um, uh, or at least one of the most enduring ones. Um, and I find, I just the way, the way you described him is quite powerless, uh, um, or just quite uninvolved in the story. What, what, why does, do you think that works here with Patrick Troughton and not necessarily with Peter Davison, who is no, who has a number of stories where you could, you know, take the Doctor out and um, uh, the same outcome would happen? I think it works here because of the ambiguity of the Doctor himself. So he can be, right. because we're not even that sure that he is the, like from the outset, Peter Davison is the doctor and he's essentially impotent for three years. You would hardly say right. Patrick Troughton was impotent for three years. He is heavily involved. In fact, half the time he's causing the trouble. Two mm. aside, man, he's the one that lets them in. He's the one that opens up mm. the, the thing that allows them to go down into the tombs. Um, mm. But here, yeah, he can kind of be a bit shadowing a bit. Because I think that's the idea, is is we're not sure about him. He's very cagey. He's not taking control of the story like Hartnell would. And Hartnell would. But he takes control of it in a different way, doesn't he? It's just it's just the modus operandi is just not what we're used to. It's I mean, that thing you were talking he's about. He's trying to complex. convince them, but they're not listening. They probably would have listened to Hartnell. He gets locked up in a cell. That didn't happen to Hartnell very often. Um, and at the end, he kind of... Oh, and if Hartnell got stuck in a cell, he wouldn't sit there, like, you know, <laughs> sort of requesting water. He'd be going, why are you? Why have you got me in here? You must get me out at once. As oh. opposed to, can I have some more water, please? What does he say in the gunfires? People keep giving me guns, and I do wish they wouldn't. Oh, oh, that was great. Yeah, so I think I, I think this isn't the model for Trowan. So, and because that is what they're trying to achieve here to cast doubt that to so to not give him a, a dominant role in the story kind of makes sense. But pretty much from this point on, he does take a dominant role in the story. So maybe yeah. maybe it could only work here. Right, especially in the context of the first regeneration as well. I've got a question for you. Ah, cool. Go for it. I have another one lined up for you as well. Well, it's kind of veering a little bit away from Power of the Daleks, but how do you think this story fares in comparison to other Doctor First stories? Not first Doctor stories, Doctor First stories. You've seen them all, haven't you? 
Uh, I've seen uh, the first episode of An Unearthly Child. I haven't seen the full thing, mm-hmm. uh, but I have seen the 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 most famous episode, the, the essential part. Yeah. Uh, I have seen obviously seen Power of the Daleks. I have seen Spirit from Space. I haven't actually seen Robot. I haven't seen Robot. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's probably what we should visit. Yeah, you love yeah, that. Ha- haven't seen Robot. You seen I Castro Valvo? I have seen Castro Valvo, but that's so long ago. I must have been, I must have been like nine or something when I saw it. For some reason. If you tell me you've seen the Twin Dilemma and you haven't seen Robot, I am telling you that I've seen the Twin Dilemma, but haven't <sighs> seen Robot. Good grief! I uh, bet you've I seen have... Time and the Rani as well. I know you have. I have seen. I've seen Time of the Rani. Um, obviously, obviously, I've seen the Paul McGann TV movie. Um, and then after that, I've seen every Doctor Who. So it's only Robot. So I'm, I'm not really saying about uh, how they introduced the Doctor so much as the quality of the story. How do you think this fares in comparison to the others? Uh, pretty high. Um, I think... No, I think first Doctor stories are have become this really difficult thing to. I think they're quite difficult to write now mm. because um, obviously there is a very high expectation on the story to perform well and to li- and you know the Doctor is the doctor that you will love for the next three or four years is there right off the bat. You want to be with that version of the character. Um, at the same time, however, the first doctor stories now have this thing about, you know, it's, it's this weird paradox with them where there's like, we need to see, we need to see the actor. Come on, come on. We need to see it. We need to, we need <coughs> there's to be definitely, in the new series, but, it's a showcase, isn't it? The first episode. Yeah. But at the same time, the first episodes are kind of vehicles for the for the lead actor to kind of muck around and kind of feel their way into the part a little bit. Um, or not, as the, is, the Christmas Invasion attests. Yeah, so it, they're kind of meant... Uh, which, so it's, it's where the cliche of rege- post-regeneration madness comes in, where you're not really seeing their characterization of the doctor you're seeing um you're kind of seeing them mucking about for a while and maybe a hint of what their performance might be Gen- broadly speaking that's a generalization which which uh, are the ones that- with that with that uh post-regeneration trauma i say robot for sure castro valva twin dilemma and time of the rani not so much the Christmas invasion. It's like a physical trauma, but it's not like a psychological one, is it? Really? No. Um, Definitely not the Lim Power because he's on it from the first yeah, scene. It's it, it's in that case, it's more the Doctor's body having to keep up with the Doctor's brain. Um, Deep breath, uh, definitely. He's <laughs> bananas yeah. for the first half of that. Um, well, uh, actually, well, I have a point to make about this, but go on. Um, but it doesn't answer your question necessarily. The, the thing that really strikes me about the regeneration in this story is that it's called the, 
it, like I was saying earlier, it's before re- regeneration as we understood mm-hmm. it existed. Yeah. So, so it's it's called, it's just called the change, the renewal, and um, it's pre- and, and the doctor describes it as being part of the TARDIS. It's yeah. they're really making this like, up as they go along, aren't they? Yeah. And but remember, Susan made up the name TARDIS from the initials. Time and relative dimensions, space. Yeah, that's the one. They literally um, were making this all up. <laughs> Um, but but in some ways, I think this just in terms of it being a regeneration story, less separate from a first episode. Um, I thought it was really good because it it made the regeneration seem like like a really harrowing process because they don't really go into detail as to what it is. That the doctors have been through. He can't. He's like in that first episode. He, there's those those shots of his vision, oh, kind yeah. and the the beeping What's he noise. Saying? He's going like slow down, slow down. Like something crazy is happening in his head. Yeah, I think in the one of the old story bibles, they described the process of regeneration, and it's very you know it's very apt for the sixties. They described the change that the doctor goes through in terms of what it's putting him through in his head and his body as being the equivalent of coming down from like a uh, LSD uh, high. Right. Um, so it's like, it's like, you know, having withdrawal. It's like the experience of coming down from a regeneration is like withdrawing from being on a high on drugs. Okay. Um, uh, and I think you definitely get that sense of, you know, withdrawal from the doctor here, where mm. he he he's he's really kind of wonked out, essentially, and really trying cool. to. I think there's a few times where you could actually per, Pertwee as well, who's laid out for his whole first episode, mm. and Peter Davison for his first episode. Yeah, um, but in those instances, I don't think it's. I feel like the the treatment is different. Like it's a physically exhausting event that, uh, like a, a biological thing that the doctor has gone through. Like a, I don't know, wrong example to use, but like you know, giving birth essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I, maybe in some ways, it may be in some ways appropriate in some in some right. respects. But um, it's like a physical labor the doctor has gone through. Whereas here, it's this weird trippy thing. That yeah. the doctor has partaken in in order to survive, and he doesn't explain what it is very well. So there's this; it it all adds into this, fuels into this mystery as to who is this guy an imposter or not? Who is this guy who's just taken space LSD in the TARDIS? Where did William Hartnell go? <laughs> yeah, it's like I said to you earlier. It's not not safe at all, is it? It's not comforting. No, you're, you're constantly um, on edge. Yeah. Why is the doctor behaving strange? Why are the Daleks behaving strange? What's going on? Yeah. Nobody is <clears throat> literally nobody is who they say they are in the story, except Ben and Polly. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why they're the boring ones. They're the predictable <laughs> ones. Um, but in terms of episode quality, I would put this one very high. I'd say Do you know just what? because. I mean, it's interesting you talked about the Doctor because I'd say in terms of a showcase for the Doctor, I'd put this one quite low. But in terms mm-hmm. of the story itself, I would put this very near the top, potentially at the top. I I, I think I would agree with you on that. I think the different 
I think the reason why I'd nudge it higher as a characterization for the Doctor is because it it feels very because one of the what I was saying earlier was that I feel like there's a bit of a oh, nowadays there can be a bit of a oh, it's post regeneration madness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's like a catch-all explanation as to what's happened. Yeah. Whereas here, there's <clears throat> it's just like, and there can be a bit of what, like you know, in deep breath. Well, oh, do we have to do this comedy? You know, shouting a dinosaur's bit oh. on the rooftop. Do we have to do this? Whereas, whereas in here, it's it's all so deliberate, yeah. and it's and it's deliberate in a way that is, as as we've said, quite unnerving and disquieting, and. What and I really and I put this story very high just because of the strange things it does with the two most iconic things in the show, which is the uh, that's being presented on screen, which is the Doctor and the Daleks, and the absolute bravery to have the bloody balls to recast the lead actor and hope you know everyone will go along with it. I kind of see what you're saying. Like after this, it's like oh, I see. This is what we do now. He changes yeah. every now. But at this point, it's like, is this happening? Is, is this what's, yeah. what's happening? Like, you know, you, you have no idea. And for all the audience knows, he could be Harlow again. This could be like a one-story thing. Yeah, and I think it was a note I wrote down very early on, which is, it, I, 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 I'm going to, I feel like I'm preempting an answer to a question that I'm about to ask you. Oh, okay, cool. But um, <clears throat> one of the things I wrote, I was asking myself early on, is like, why on earth did they choose to write the Doctor so untrustworthy and as such an imposter in the very first regeneration, post-regeneration story, where surely your first instinct would be, we have to reassure the audience as much as possible that yeah. this is the Doctor, and you should tune in next week. Well, look at Parting of the Ways. The Doctor gives the explanation about what's about to happen before it happens, just to reassure the kids at home. Yeah. So <clears> I'm just like, and it is a really bold choice where they actively, they so actively try to make you second guess whether this is the Doctor or not. And whether you are on board with this show anymore, I was like, why are they making the trying to make the audience feel uncomfortable? And the more I thought about it, the more I was kind of like, in some ways, in uh, what what year, what year was this? Nineteen sixty-six. Yeah. In nineteen sixty-six, the audience. I feel like it would be it would almost be misguided to do the first new incarnation of the Doctor and just play it up. I'm the Doctor. You have nothing to worry about. Everybody at home would be like, what? Yeah. Who is this guy? Why is he trying to reassure me? I think everybody would... Because, the, oh, as I, I said, see. regeneration didn't exist before. So everyone's like, what just happened? Why should I trust you? So I think it's smart that they... To make you let build that trust go through this period Because they, they know they're going to ask that question. Should do I yeah. trust this guy? So they deliberately make him behave in a way that is untrustworthy. 
Yeah, in order to regain your trust later. But then tell a story where, as the story continues, he behaves in a doctorly enough way that at the end of the story, you're like, yeah, this is the doctor. Yeah, exactly. Also, I've answered your question. Oh, you've answered your own question. We answered it together. Oh, there you go. What a team. Um, I don't know. Do you have any additional thoughts on that, on them going so hard on the Doctor being untrust an untrustworthy imposter? Well, to be honest, it's the first time since season one, the beginning of season one, the first couple of stories, that the show feels really dangerous again because anything goes. Now, in the first story the doctor is very kind of morally ambiguous he picks up that rock is he going to bash the caveman over the head or is he going to ask him to draw a map we really don't know who he is but kind of come season two he's become this sort of cuddly old grandfather who he's our hero you know and this shapes mm. all that up and for one story and i'd say probably two or three stories we're a bit unsure again and the show is like genuinely dangerous i really like that mm. so i think it works in that in that respect to kind of shape the audience up a bit saying oh you're getting a bit complacent were you right well we may have been forced into this but god damn it we're going to take advantage of this situation that we have yeah and it feels like a very doctor who thing to do to you know this whole thing was forced upon it by circumstance where the show was a mega hit uh, but the lead star had to retire, and they didn't want to take it off the air. So I was like, "Oh, well, we did, get Patrick did, Troughton." Did you hear it, what Troughton wanted to do? Did you hear how bad this could have gone? It, oh, it could have been a disaster. It could have been a disaster had Patrick Troughton got his own way, because what he wanted to do before it was oh, is this him? He, in, wanted, in, he wanted to black up. He wanted to have yeah. an Arabian Nights kind of costume and a turban and a big beard and playing and like big earrings as playing, well. you imagine you playing it like that in this story yeah because it wasn't the whole thing is that he wanted to be like like i'm genuinely like what an awful idea yeah yeah it's horrendous but like i, I, I kind of understood his reasoning when he tried to explain that which was he didn't want to be recognised as the Doctor. So if he's yeah. in a disguise, he could then take off it, the disguise at the end of the part and be Patrick Trout again and play character parts. Yeah, I, I remember him. I remember the rationale being essentially that he didn't... It's essentially he didn't want to get typecast. Yeah, but just, um, it's just so... Oh, God, it's just a terrible, it, terrible... It's idea. just like, Patrick, there are ways of being... <laughs> of avoiding being typecast without being... Have you ever seen Time Flight? No, I haven't. So the master in Time Flight is dressed up as an Arabian Nights sort of character who goes around going, Sharam, Shalom, Shalom, Poppadoms, Onion Bargies. No, he doesn't quite say that. Um, I was going to say, that would, <laughs> that, I'm, that's an odd thing for the master to say. What else happens in Time Flight? But that's essentially what Charter wanted to do. And I'm like, okay, well, it didn't really work there. It definitely wouldn't have yeah. worked here. I think, I think that's why I feel like the compromise. Well, I'm not sure if it's a compromise at all. I think the 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 they can, they let Pat, Patrick Trump wear a lot of literal different hats. Yes. Instead, which I think 
I gave him a new a new catchphrase. I would like a hat like that. Oh, does he go on saying that? For about three stories, yeah. No, I think before, that's before he then just kind of gives up on hats, doesn't he? But Trout says there were special features in an interview. He goes to so one of the producers, like puffing on his pipe, going, "Yes, I think this could go on for another three years, but you've got mm. to lose the hat." <laughs> so that's why it only lasted two stories. Yeah, he really likes that battered hat, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah. Um, but what I, I suppose, uh, what what were we originally saying before we got sidetracked? By we were talking Patrick about the Chum other and... Doctor First stories um, and kind of how no, they. Yeah. Um. No. I was, what was I asking? I was asking you about um in um about the Doctor being an imposter. Oh, oh yeah. Bit, about the, the, the bit, did you have any other thoughts about you know? whether that was the right thing to do. I think given the impossible situation they were in, the getting in David Whitaker, who had written many, many stories to this point and actually was heavily involved in the inception of the first series and script edited that series, uh, was a brilliant idea. Uh, bringing the Daleks to see the audience through was a great idea. Keeping Ben and Polly on, because there was talk about them not being kept on, um, was essential for the transition. And keeping Trout on at arm's length was inspired, as you say, because mm. the audience were definitely going to ask those questions as to whether he was a doctor or not. I don't think they could have done a better job, if I'm honest. No, I don't. I I think I agree. I it does. Don't you think it? Sorry to interrupt you. Mm. Don't you think it does feel like a very Doctor Who thing, where you know it has all this change forced upon it, and to disguise the fact that it's had these changes forced upon it, it's like no, we're gonna we're gonna change everything now to make it look like it was part of the plan the whole yeah. time. <laughs> we'll just pretend that's how it was all along. Yeah, so the Daleks are going to be back, but they're going to be really shifty this time, and you're not going to know why, because that, that's part of the plan. But this is essentially like what people complain about in The Timeless Children, about him changing continuity. This is what they were doing here. They were just making it up. You know, there's no, um, there's no sense that he, he can change his bodies for three years. Well... Well, I feel I, I feel like the timeless children. You know, the, I suppose the difference is is that you know, the Power of the Daleks was written in a time where uh, there was no backstory, and it was like free. It was like you know, free real estate. That's Whereas true. you know, the timeless the timeless children is um, you know rewriting the well established lore of the series. But um, so I, I the timeless children is I don't think is the right example to use here. But it is very true of, say, you know, what Robert Holmes was doing in the late 70s. Mm. But do you um, imagine it, on the back of this there was, like, the Not My Doctor Brigade for Patrick Troughton? There was, wasn't there? He's not my doctor. That's William Hartnell, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it just goes to show you that, you know, <laughs> Doctor Who fans have always kind of sucked. They've always been terrible. But it does also show as well that the series is very good at improvising. When the chips are down. Yeah. Yeah. 
with its most one of its most improvisational doctors in some respects. Absolutely. Oh. And um, I think personally, I don't see a lot of what Trout becomes in this story, but I do think he goes on to be potentially the most successful doctor. So it goes to show that the casting was inspired because there are very, very few people out there that don't rate Troughton as the Doctor. Oh, yeah. And, you know, even famously now, Matt Smith, who never who never grew up watching the show, based his, you know, version of the Doctor on um, uh, Troughton especially. You can really um, see that in Smith's first series, can't you? That kind of impishness and the cheekiness and the humour. But I feel like every doctor since Troughton has in some ways touched on his characterization specifically. Maybe not, maybe Pertwee, maybe not Pertwee as much, but certainly when you get to Tom Baker and... uh, I think Colin uh, Baker said that Troughton was his favourite as well. I think if they're all really honest, Trout is probably all of their favourites. I think Colin Baker definitely at one point said if he had to put his hand on his heart and say who was his favourite doctor, he would say Patrick Trout. But then he'd have a little whinge about the fact that uh, he had to say a favourite anything because he doesn't like that, does he? Does he? No, no. Yeah, yeah, that massive paddy, didn't he? About, oh, did you pay me doctor? Because essentially he usually ends up at the bottom of those polls. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, poor, poor Colin. It's undeserved because, you know, I prefer Colin Baker to Patrick Trousdale. Colin Baker's my favourite. So, you know, I, I can't say that. But um, by all accounts, Troughton turned down the role several times. Really? Yes. And they kept phoning him up and they kept offering him more money until he relented. Because uh, I, I knew he was reluctant he had reservations about the part. I didn't know he um, actively refused it. Well, and I don't know how true this is, but I know this has been said that Hartnell himself said that there's only one person who could take on the role. Oh yes. Only one. Oh yes. I think I've heard this quote as well. There's only one man in Britain who can do this, who can take on Doctor Who. And that's before he knew. So that's, that's kind of lovely as well. Yeah. I, okay. know, I know they brought that line in. Um, did you ever watch uh, an adventure in space and time? Of course, I uh, did. The, yeah, yeah. They bring that line back at the end when um, uh, it's uh, what's his name, Reese. Uh, oh, Reese. that's a dreadful piece of casting. I love Reese Smith. I love all of his work, but he doesn't anything like Patrick Troughton. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's so weird to go from you know. The, the spot on casting of David Bradley to the completely ludicrous casting of 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 uh, what's it, Reese? I always Reece, forget to pronounce his last name. Yeah, as Trout. Um, but they do bring that line back at the end where um, he's uh, where David Bradley says to him, you know, I told them, you know, there's only one man in in Britain who can take over. Oh yes, couldn't they get him? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah that's really funny. That was such a well. That documentary was so lovely, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, in some well, ways, re- in some ways, that was my favourite thing about the anniversary, <laughs> and I loved Day of the Doctor. But oh, it broke mm. my heart. I did. Yeah. 
There, there, there was, and there was the five-ish doctors as well, oh, which is also a lot. Oh, God, we were spoiled, weren't we? Well, maybe, and then time of the doctor turned up, and everyone was like, oh. oh well, the fun couldn't last forever. <laughs> I, 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 I do have one more question about Power of the Daleks for you, though. Oh, yeah, go for it. I was about to ask you a, a question moving on from Power of the Daleks, so ask oh, away. I was just going to say, like, how do you think this rates amongst the Dalek stories? Is it one of the better ones? Oh, surely it has to be right at the top. I, I think it is the best Dalek story. Yeah, I was going to say, it, there's no way it's not in the top three. No. And that's taking kind of all media as well. Big finish, the whole lot. <laughs> oh, really? You'd say so? I mean, I haven't experienced much of the, um, you know, novels, audios, comics, books, as you have. Well, the Daleks have featured in about 900 Big Finish stories now, so... Nick Briggs is never yeah, out of work. Yeah, you never know. Maybe it's in the 999th that they've actually struck the best Dalek story the, of all time. The I'd say the only things that come this cl as close to this are Rob Sherman's Dalek for doing interesting things with the Daleks, I mean. Mm. Um, and <laughs> Rob Sherman's Jubilee, <laughs> which Dalek was based upon. Oh, you wouldn't put Genesis in there? No, because Genesis isn't really a great Dalek story, is it? It's a fantastic Davros story. Ah, I see. Yeah. Um, I... Well, except, you know, Resurrection of the Daleks, of course, with its 900 <laughs> well, what I find it interesting you put, you know, Dalek... Uh, well, I think mainly Jubilee and Power of the Daleks in the same kind of breath. Uh, not because they're they're not great stories. Mm -hmm. Jubilee is phenomenal, and I, I would not envy anybody. I I would not envy you for putting that in your top three. However, I find it interesting because they're both both of those stories are interested in doing unusual things with the Daleks, subverting the cliches. Yeah, that's why I like them. Though. Yeah. Well, because um, the Daleks are essentially quite boring, don't you think? They they you know, they run around screaming exterminate, killing people. That's a bit, you know. Once you've seen it a few times, um, it, it's it's one of those strange things where you know people will love Dalek spectacle, but it's one of those things that the show all, will always have trouble delivering uh, delivering on. Yeah. Um, uh, and so it's always so it's always fun where you know the thing with power of the Daleks that really got me was that you know we got to the massacre at the end i was like hang on this is a six-parter and the Daleks only started shooting people at the end really yeah you know like what 10 minutes i think the few times um, where the Daleks are allowed to be really smart and really kind of conniving that's when they're at the best but you get and i think opposite dalek and jubilee both by rob sherman you get this kind of interesting thing where Jubilee does the thing that Power of the Daleks does, which is putting really creeping you out by putting the Daleks in sit in a in a context in a situation where you've not seen them before that makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, and Jubilee does that with very heavy focus on the Dalek voices. So you know it opens with that hilarious narration of you know the oh, Dalek yeah. movie, um, but also like, you know, the unsettling nature of the Dalek, um, 
the Cockney kind of Daleks. Um, no, do Dalek what's and- terrifying about Jubilee is how the Daleks have been marketed. Mm. And it's, it's such a scathing like criticism of how the Daleks were marketed in the 60s. And it's like, what mm. is it? Um, just have some Dalek juice or Dalek aid. Well, what's that? Yeah. Oh, it's just normal juice and lemonade, but with a picture of a Dalek slapped on the ball. Yeah. So you got Ju- you got Jubilee doing the power of the Daleks thing of, you know, putting them in weird situations that somehow make them creepier. Uh, whereas Dalek, on the other hand, is doing that other thing of leading into how much of a threat, like, one Dalek can be and how, like, um, how clever they are. But all three... Um, and- Involve performance far more than usual with the Daleks. Mm. Power of the Daleks, Jubilee, and Dalek. And I think that's what's interesting is you've got an actor there really giving a Dalek some character. Yeah. And it's, as we've mentioned before, as you mentioned before, you know, Nick Briggs, yeah, with who does, who does, it must be said, a phenomenal Dalek voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, he really Based, uh, didn't you say he based his performance specifically off on this? Well, yeah. he, he's the quintessential he Dalek now, isn't he? He is the Dalek voice. Yeah, I think it's when he started turning up, um, doing Daleks on like you know quiz shows that you're just like, <laughs> yeah, this man, this man's got it now. Yeah, but like I think oh. if anything, Power of the Daleks then shows that it did it best. If that's what he is uh, using as his influence. Mm. This, this is the, I mean, what else what would you put alongside this as the best Dalek stories? What a tough question. I put Remembrance up there, definitely. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, no, I still, uh, I still stick with my top three, but yeah. Uh, remember, I think I put Dalek, I think I would put Dalek there as well. I think I'd go, I'm not just because it's so fresh in my mind, um, I think I'm going to take Power of the Daleks out of the equation of them at the moment. Okay. Uh, and just work out what my other three Dalek stories would be. Uh, definitely Dalek, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks. Uh, maybe Genesis. I'm not sure. I know it's the cliche. Yeah. Um, and understandably uh, so. Uh, but yeah, I do, I do, I do love that story as well. I mean, in Dalek, um, in, in the Daleks, sorry, they are conniving bastards as well, aren't they? Like, you know, come on, fowls, come and take the fruit. We'll give you food and lovely. And there's like fire. <laughs> Everybody evil. Mm. And then they've got to bomb the entire know, planet. You know, I do feel. Um, not my favorite, definitely nowhere near my favorite. I would also like to give because we're talking about Dalek action explosion. The new series has done some fabulous Dalek kind of mania sort of stuff, like you know, uh, Do- Doomsday, mm-hmm. uh, Stolen Earth, especially. Oh, Stolen Earth, Day yeah. The- oh, Day- my Day God. The- How did I forget about Stolen Earth? Dang, would you call that necessarily? Oh, well, I was about to say, would you call that a Dalek story? It's like, well, you no. can't not call it a Dalek story. Well, it's kind story. of like an everything story, isn't it? It's a kitchen sink story. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but also you got Into the Dalek as well, which has arguably some of the best Dalek action scenes in it. That's very true. And it is trying to do something interesting again with the Daleks. It's trying to look at them in a different way, in a more kind of mm. psychological way. Um, I don't yeah. think it's quite as successful as Dalek, but... No, absolutely not. I think... Very it, few episodes are. Yeah. Um, do you know what should have been a fantastic but, Dalek story? Yeah, I, I think it ends up being somewhere between okay and good. Oh, no, sorry. That was a question. What should... Oh. Do, you know, do you know what should have been a good Dalek story? What should have been a good Dalek story? Asylum of the Daleks should have been an amazing Dalek story, and I think it's pretty <laughs> substandard. I I haven't I don't think I've actually when was the last time I rewatched Asylum? I think at the beginning it was a couple of years ago now. I think at the beginning of twenty seventeen I was the last time I saw Asylum. And yeah, it's it uh, Asylum is a story that kind of drives me nuts in a in a in a way. Because it has so loads of bits of it are so promising and a fantastic um, premise. The Dalek Asylum, yeah. where all the bloody lunatic Daleks end up, that should be so yeah. scary. Mm. And and it has um, I mean, once you get past the weird character setups with a- Amy and Rory oh, in the middle Christ. of a divorce, yeah. uh, it Off does screen. have a great teaser of the Dalek. Daleks go that chorus of that enormous chorus of Daleks going save the Daleks, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Um, and of course, there's um, uh, you know, the at the time, the huge mystery as to why Jenna, Col- Jenna, then Jenna Louise Coleman. That's uh, that's the best of that story, I think, is, is that twist, yeah. Uh, but it's this weird thing where it has all so much promise, but a lot of it, it's a bit like an overbaked souffle. Souffle, yeah. Exterminate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, so that one, that one's frustrating because there are so many bits in it that I'm just like, ah, oh, these are great, but it does not work. I'm rather keen on um, Magician's Apprentice and The Witch is Familiar, but I, th- I think that's a better Davros story again. Yeah, Do you know, I, uh, um, I remember there was a YouTuber who I quite like who re- in the Witches Familiar. This is a <laughs> what are you talking about? No, we, quite, we kind of have. Um, uh, uh, there was a YouTuber who I really like who really hates the Witches Familiar. Oh, um, can because, you name? And one of the reasons why is because he really. <laughs> He, uh, do, you, do you remember the bit where Missy said, oh, it's the whole thing with Clara being unable to say specific words in the Dalek suit. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and uh, she says that, um, Missy says that um, the word, ext- the, the re- it's a very meta joke. The reason why Daleks say the word exterminate so much, it's because it's their way of reloading the gun. Um, uh because uh, the Dal- the Dalek suit is designed to channel anger, right. um, and uh, I remember someone taking huge <clears throat> issue with that um, because well, I mean, I don't, um, I don't think it's a huge issue, but it's a bit naff. It is, but they they took a they took huge issue with that kind of reconceptualization of the Daleks because they said in some ways it turns them into the Cybermen. 
in some regards, channeling their emotions or uh, right. suppressing it. Uh-huh. Uh, well, actually, no, Missy has a line of Cybermen suppress emotions, Daleks channel it. But essentially, the main point here was that it turns the Daleks' anger from something that, because, you know, these, these little bubbling lumps of hate, and it, it turns their anger into the, the armor. The armor is what it causes the anger. It's not the Daleks themselves inside the suit, which is the, the, the fury. Uh-huh. If that, if, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I don't and think, it, do, I don't think do, it works, but I think it's interesting, I guess. An idea that they threw out there. Well, yeah, but it didn't really stick, did it? It's like the Dalek no, paradigm. No. They threw it out there and then, well... Or the Dalek sewers. Oh, I mean, is that the worst Dalek story? Victory of the Daleks? I think it might be. Don't you dare say the chase. I... No, I'm not going to gun after the chase. Victory of the Daleks, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it, but I feel like there is half of a very good Dalek story in there. Never has an episode started with so much potential and fallen off the deepest, darkest cliff you've ever seen. Because mm. oh. the, the premise of the Daleks helping Winston Churchill is a fantastic premise. Yeah, they should have stuck with that, though. They should have done. Um, uh, and, you know, all the, um, you know, it was really popular. I, I, anytime I meet a Doctor Who fan and I'm, you know, I might be hanging out at their house, uh, nine times out of ten, well, actually, nine times out of ten is a bit of a overgenerous estimation. But a lot of the time, I'll see, you know, that Victory of the Dalek merch that was really popular, like the the blueprints oh, of yeah, the Metatrons, yeah. all the to victory posters. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's this weird thing that even though it's a really hated story, the good part of the story has merchandised fantastically. <laughs> <laughs> well, those bloody bubble bath Daleks turned up everywhere. I actually had a bubble bath of one of them. Yeah, I, did you? Yeah, I did the one, a red one. Yeah. Aw, I think I've got one of the Paradigm Daleks just up there, and mm. on a mug as well, or something. I'll everywhere. T- I'll tell you what's a great Dalek story, and what's fight that? me on this. Resolution. I, I thought you were about to say Resurrection of the Daleks. Resolution. <laughs> he deconstructs a Dalek and puts it back together again. And I think that's a really clever approach of telling a Dalek story. I, Resu, I've always liked Resolution. I, I, I've never loved it, though. Um, I always, For me, it's always been a bit of a kind of very action heavy fun adrenaline heavy um festive special Um, i just think you have a really smart bit of casting in lynn and she carries the first half of that doesn't she as like the possessed dalek oh the bit the whole bit with the, the the dalek controlling her i thought was really interesting but I then love I just, that bit. But then in the second half, I just love the action. I think, obviously, we've got to a point now where they can pull off some serious action. Well, that Dalek is, that Dalek is you know, the first Dalek that could uh, be re- entirely remote-controlled as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, and you know the midsection of it is that could rotate around completely oh, that's right, by remote. You can really tell there's not an actor in there, can't you? Because they couldn't physically possibly be inside that with a tiny little waist. Yeah. Do you know what could potentially be a better than Power of the Daleks? Well, it's like the Rochester's, one of Rochester's Daleks, they just cut somebody up oh, in there. Oh, that seems so sick. What could potentially be better than Power of the Daleks is Revolution of the Daleks. It could could be. You never know. It might be, who knows, maybe good television is just Daleks shooting John Barrowman over and over again. Oh, oh, yeah, the greatest surprise that no one ever guessed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like as soon as we knew he wasn't in the finale, it's like he's back at Christmas. They're not going to bring... If Chris Chibnall has a Dalek kill Graham and Ryan, I will declare Revolution of the Daleks the best Dalek story of all time. Uh, but I thought you really liked those characters. Oh, I do. I just think it would be a really memorable ending. Because, like, I, oh, I knew that's what you what you meant, but it's, I wouldn't put it past you to improve your scorings of particular bad episodes if they killed off characters oh, or companions yeah, sure. you didn't like. Wow, Do you remember the end of the fourth series of the Lucy Miller audios where Nick Briggs killed off Lucy Miller and Tasmin and the Doctor's grandson all in the same story? It was a bloody massacre. It was shocking. Yeah, I don't think Paul McGann, Paul McGann has recovered since then. Oh, yeah, that's his son, isn't it? Whoopsie. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. It is his son. You're right. Rick's killed right. off Paul McGann's son. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I, uh, and Paul McGann's doctor has subsequently been moping for like 10 years now or something. Then know, again, he probably was beforehand. I figured Power of the Daleks would be a springboard into us talking about Doctor First stories. It actually has turned out to be a springboard into Dalek stories. Um, since we have about seven minutes left, why don't you sum up Power of the Daleks for me, or your experience oh, of it? Um, my experience of Power of the Daleks is that, uh, oh, where do I start? It, in a lot of ways, it's a story. It's a story that lives. It lives up to its reputation but not necessarily in the ways that you expect. Um, I think it gives you, you know, obviously gives you the Doctor's regeneration, the first regeneration story ever, but it's done in this really off-kilter, it's deliberately done in this off-kilter way that really throws you for six. Yeah. And, and, um, for so much of the story, you're not meant to trust who the doctor is. Um, and you're just, and so really, it's a story that delights in wrong footing you in the moments where you feel like you'd be most sure. Um, uh, especially when it comes to the Daleks themselves, because the Daleks are the ultimate reassurance that thing it's Doctor Who's going to be as business as usual again. We got the big, we got the big bads back, and we know you like Daleks. 
but the Daleks themselves are also really weird in this story. Well, it's very weird, um, isn't it, in the first two episodes that it's trying to convince you not to trust the Doctor, but to trust the Daleks. I, it's, I think it's, yeah, essentially, you're right. It's asking you to, no, maybe we've had it wrong for these last... <laughs> The Doctor was oh, the villain. Yeah. This is, this show should have been called Daleks. Yeah, and it would have been it would have been nice, and all the right people would. It turns out, all the right people were dying. Mm. You know, when the Daleks were killing everybody. You know, they, oh, I'm, I, I'm losing my sense here. If you were following a show called you know Daleks, and it was all about their their attempts to take over the planet Vulcan. Then the Doctor would be the villain of this piece because he comes along and massacres them all. <laughs> Pretty much. In, uh, um, I think we've discovered the secret of Doctor Who. One... He was the villain all along. Gasp, what a twist. Mm. Do you remember the uh, end of The Runaway Bride? Oh, Doctor, you can stop. You can Pompeii, stop. He murdered a load of people in that. What? Oh no, my precious Dalek children, they're all dying. Um, what, but one thing in this story I find really interesting because we've, we've talked about the Doctor being quite unlikable. Um, but, um, uh, well, not unlikable, but untrustworthy. Mm. And the other most obvious point of comparison for me in the classic series is the twin dilemma. Um, yeah. That's fair. Which I find interesting. Not that the stories in the way they're written or their quality or their sense of taste are in any way comparable. No. Or the intelligence um, that they're written with. Yeah. But I don't know. They're both they're both stories which try to they're both debut stories which really try to throw the audience off their game and make them double after after a doctor audiences would have been quite comfortable with mm -hmm. they try to really wrong foot you off the bat um with a doctor who you don't know you can trust but where but i think the difference here lies in whereas the twin dilemma is almost gleefully trying to be as tasteful tasteless as possible and really go push the envelope in terms of how much you can uh, get, how much you can let the Doctor get away with uh, and still like the show. Throwing, throwing acid in the face of the villain, by all accounts. Yeah, whereas I I think uh, the power of the Daleks is make, wants you to second-guess the Doctor, but the end of the, the the end point of the power of the Daleks is not I am the Doctor whether you like it or not. By the end of that story, you know yeah. this is the Doctor again. It's like Power of the Daleks deconstructs the series and then puts it back together again, but with a new lead, yeah. a new lead at the end of the story that you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, in, entirely that. You just put my rambling, <laughs> uh, my rambling like. Two or three minutes in perfect sense, and like, why? Well, I love your rambling. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially, it delivers on all the things you want in a debut Doctor story, but in none of the ways you expect. 
yeah. is my takeaway of that story. Um, and all of its ideas are interesting, and more importantly, they're still really fresh, mm. even in 2020. I think if there was one word that I would use to describe Power of the Daleks, it is suspenseful. It is one of the best suspense Doctor Who stories, and that's because the Doctor is a complete mystery and kind of uncomfortable to watch at times. And like you said with the Daleks, especially in those early episodes where you're just not sure what they're up to, what did you call it? Stillness of the Daleks. It really the is. Stillness of the Daleks. Yeah, it's disquieting. It's it's weird um but they're really suggesting that there is like a dark intelligence inside you know waiting to spring and it makes you wait five episodes and then when they come out it delivers you know a hell of a massacre twice over first of the people of Vulcan mm. and then of the Daleks themselves um sorry oh no and uh to, to interject here slightly with a um and I think in building up to that, it re the, the Parallel Dallas does a great job of realizing it has a lot of really intriguing plot and character developments to uh, uh, alleviate your, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling of checking your watch is like, when are the Dallas going to do all the shooting business? Because you've got all this other suspenseful drama happening with all the characters. Yeah. And it's got all lots of lovely stuff going on like lots of backstabbing which i just love all that kind of politicking um yeah i just i just think it's really smartly written it's very well directed and you can see from the few clips that survived is extremely well directed especially the stuff at ealing um who directed it christopher barry who huh. did the daleks brain of morbius uh the demons He's a really good director. He, he's, he's got a good visual eye. Um, yeah, no, Troughton's not found his feet, but doing interesting things. Polly and Ben are just sort of there, but they're really eye-catching, so let's not complain about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's probably my favourite Dalek story. Um, wow. Yeah. I, uh, I say wow, I'm not really surprised. Yeah, if it's not my favourite, it's up there. Did you... Did you find... Was there anything, any new insights or any new revelations or uh, just any anything new that you got from it on this rewatch? I'm really, not sure how to tell It's really what. hard because I've read the novelisation of this. I've heard the soundtrack when it came out several times. I've seen the reconstruction online. I've watched the telesnap thing that was on the BBC. I saw the original animation. Now I'm seeing the new animation. You know, it's like I've watched this story so many times now. I feel like I have actually seen the live action version of it. Um, this is obviously until it until it's discovered, if it ever is. This is the best we're ever going to get. Um, we're going to have to do we're going to have to do an Into the Daleks story to get inside your head to get the original yeah. uh, footage if it's up there. I've seen more versions of this than I have of Sharda. Um, wow, I uh, never thought I'd hear someone say they've seen more versions of Sharda. I think the only thing that really stood out to me as of what I, I didn't quite realise before was just how creepy Troughton is in the first episode. 
mm. really is not doing anything at all to reassure the kids at home that this is the doctor. So that that's probably it. And um, before we go, uh, yes, we have not kicked off our third series of the Nine One Be Praised with our new story of quotations. You're right. When you said kicked off, I thought you were about to say kicked on this podcast as if the last two hours had just been a warm-up for the main discussion. <laughs> so now we're really going to start talking about parallels. Yeah. Now we're going to do our scene-by-scene breakdown. Well, I th- it does seem to me that we can't do a, a one shorter than two hours now. Um, but that's just because we do like to wobble on about Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, and I, I think as this podcast has proven, I do know how to wobble. Well, me too. We are wobblers. Yeah. Do you have a quote from Sharda for me? I do indeed. And that is Romana going, really, Doctor, a great criminal, your hero. And my one is the computer. It's a very obvious line, though. Oh, it's such a good line, though. Dead men do not require oxygen. Oh, it's a classic. And uh, it's a good note to say that that is where we will be next time you listen to us. Uh, We will be inviting Nathan back from Flight for Entirety, and the three of us will be discussing a story each from the Graham Williams era. For Jack, it is... The Pirate Planet from for season 16. Nathan, it is City of Death. And for me, it is Sharda. So uh, if you want a huge, huggy loving for Douglas Adams, you will not be disappointed. We've been promising this one for a while, but by God, it is nearly on upon us. That's right. And it's going to be a cracker. I... Uh... But until then, until then, we've said our quotations, we've said our pieces. Uh, Patrick Troutman has apparently creeped us out <laughs> relentingly, especially because he is not actually he was not actually on the screen at all. So well done, Pat. <laughs> it's that voice. He's like, ah, 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 ah. Yeah. <laughs> I am. and hopefully our voices have not have not <laughs> creeped you creep out. You out. Hope- And as usual, we will depart with our echoing cry of the The Nymon be be praised. Oh, man, we're getting so good at this. Did we get it on time? I had no idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were bang on. Oh, thank Christ. We can finally end this podcast now. Yeah. (laughs) Farewell. (laughs) That was very... Bye. (laughs)